Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Cape Town, South Africa, at the one and only right here, taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888-88-PETER. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question or problem. We will solve it throughout the show. I've been coming to Cape Town, well, since before Nelson Mandela was freed. I remember when I first came down to South Africa, I had to get a visa, and I went to the South African mission in New York, and they actually gave me a visa, which they hand-wrote on the visa, must say nice things about South Africa, because they were so worried about what I might discover when I got down here, which, of course, is what I discovered, which is a beautiful country that was really screwed up at that point. Of course I wrote about it, and about a year and a half later, Mandela was freed, and since then, of course, Robben Island has become a great tourist attraction, home of reconciliation where he was imprisoned, and the country started to turn around in so many different ways. I'm here, of course, for the annual Virtuoso Symposium. You may know, for those of you who are regulars to the show, we do it twice a year, once in their annual meeting in Las Vegas in August. Uh, you got to want to go there if you want to be there in August in Las Vegas. No, you don't. you just got to be there. And, of course, right here, they do it every year in a different location. Last year was Madrid. And the year before, it was Hong Kong. It's all over the place. So happy to be here in in Cape Town. And when I come back to Cape Town, there's always one person I always call on the phone because in my book, he is Mr. Adventure. He takes you to places I've never seen and even didn't even know about. And then, of course, I can share them with you. His name is Andy Kluver. He runs a company called Civ Air, which means he's got helicopters. He's got fighter jets. I mean, we get crazy. And Andy's joining me right now. Hey, Andy. Hello, Peter. Shall we tell him a story about what happened in 1998 when, when I was here actually for a virtuoso symposium? You had, a, you had access to a British Strike Master jet, and you said, hey, let's go flying. I'll take you to the Cape and back in eight minutes. I said, this is too cool. 
I was giving a speech at the symposium, and I told everybody I was going. Nobody wanted to go. They were going to stay and have their high tea. We not only went to the Cape and back in eight minutes, we had another 47 minutes of fuel left over. So what do we do, Andy? Peter, we flew over Cape Town, and we caused a lot of trouble. I think we broke a few windows because we, I think we Well, broke we buzzed the, the Mount Nelson Hotel while they were having high tea. It was brilliant. <laughs> it it and ever was since exciting, then, yeah. And ever since then, when I come back there, they go, you're not going to go up in the air again, are you? They don't want me to come back, but we had a great time. In all due respect, you and I have gone whale-watching by helicopter. Peter, we've been whale-watching. We've been shark-cage diving. We've stayed in magnificent places. We've been to adventurous hotels. You know, we talk, so about, des- we, we talk about designated drivers. How about designated helicopters? If you want to visit the wineries, do it by helicopter. And and uh, it's unbelievable. What What is your greatest adventure now? Peter, I think our best now is there's a new hotel which has just been rebuilt in the Karoo. Which was Where's the, the Karoo? The Karoo is basically 100 to 200 kilometers north of Cape Town. It's a very dry area, very arid. But there's a hotel there that used to be the headquarters of the British Army in the Boer War. And this hotel has got character, it's got history, it's got the most beautiful architecture you've ever seen. And do and they play a bugle at 6 o'clock in the morning to wake you up? bugle at 6 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and they will take you out for drives into the crew in the middle of the night, and they will treat you like a king. And you get out there by flying? We fly there. It takes an hour and a helicopter to get from Cape Town. We land on the front lawn, and there's nobody for probably 50 kilometers around. Wow. You know, I remember flying with you once uh, when I was at NBC to do a piece uh, on Robben Island, and you had the rights to land there. That's right. We don't. We have to get special permission for that each time. Right, but we but, got uh, it. We, got we it. always get it. We always get it. And we so. landed there, and one of the most amazing experiences of my life, being able to go with, uh, with his former cellmate, who That's took right. me into the cell that he shared with Nelson Mandela to tell me what, what it was really like. Mr. Cathrado. Yes, unbelievable. I mean... That, you can take the ferry. I mean, there's a, there's a ferry that goes right from the wharf here. And now look at all the development here on, on the waterfront. You know, when I was first here, not even when I was first here, when I came many, many years later, we had the Cape Grace that opened in 1998. Uh, you had the V&A, the one and only where we are right now. I mean, great explosive development. Tremendous. There's more and more. I think at the moment there's something like 15 new hotels being built here just for the demand that's coming through. Our biggest problem is air access, is getting people here. It's, you know, uh, airlift is a problem universally now. As airlines no longer compete for market share, they're only competing for yield. And if they describe it as a low-yield market, they won't come. Or they'll, they'll allocate their assets elsewhere. And now, of course, not very good for you, being a South African. Great for me, the RAND. The South African RAND, it got as crazy as, as 25 to the dollar. Peter, it's been crazy. I mean, for anybody coming here on a holiday, it's the bargain of the century. But I would say come soon because the prices are rising. They are. And uh, while you come now, you will have the bargain of the century. You will not be able to spend your allowance. And, you know, we go, we, we do this all the time on our show where we, we don't talk about U.S. dollar prices. We talk about the cost of local goods and services that the locals have to pay for. A tube of toothpaste, a Big Mac, uh, basic groceries. Because while hotels can often adjust their rates and airlines can, the rest of the country can't. Just can't because the, the locals wouldn't be able to afford it. So if you're looking for a great exchange rate right now, almost 16 to the dollar right I now. I think it's sitting at around 16 at the moment. I mean, you'll go out and have a fantastic steak for about $5. Beer will probably cost you a dollar. You know what somebody said to me, and it's almost sad. They said, I had tea the other night at the hotel, and it came to $2.10. What do I tip? And I said, just give them another dollar. Give them, give them 50% because would be so it's, it's hard to actually relate to that yes. because for the locals, it's got to be terrible. It is. It's difficult for the locals. They're definitely battling. But I think uh, prices will rise over the next year. But for the moment, it's the place to visit. And we're seeing it. The tourists are pouring in. And fuel prices? Fuel prices low at the moment because we're sitting now. I think we're paying something like about 10 rand a litre, which is less than a dollar. It's about... Per uh, gallon. No, per litre. Sorry, per litre. Per litre, yes. Yeah. But it's it's very cheap. When people come here for the first time and you take them around, what's the biggest surprise for them? I think it's the beauty. We have these incredible um, things to see. Cape Peninsula is beautiful. We have 
these mountains, which you don't get in many places. We have restaurants which are dynamic. I mean, we've just been voted the best restaurant destination in the world. We have incredible cooks who've moved in, and the whole culinary thing has just taken off completely. Of course, if you can see it by air, now you're really cooking. Peter, it's the only way to see it. I mean, if you want to see the Cape, you've got to fly. And if you want to see whales, you've got to see them from the top. If you want to see sharks, you've got to see them from the top. Well, wait a minute. You took me, wait a minute. You took me shark diving in the cage. I didn't see them from the top. I saw them from down under. Well, I will show you them from the top. You can't believe how big and how many they are. I can. I saw them from down under. Thank you very much. The point is, when you see the actual coastline here, you know, it's, it's wild. Because when, when I was growing up, my dad would used to take me on these walks around Manhattan. I used to call them the if-only walks. We only get about 30 feet from the house, and he looks at you see that building over there? If only I'd bought that in 19, you know, if only I'd bought, and I finally said, that's crazy. Well, you know what? I now do my if only walk, and it's right here in Cape Town. If only I'd bought that place in Hot Bay or in Camps Bay, because it's still a bargain. Toto, I've a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. My next guest, a regular on the show, I see him all over the world. I never see him where either of us live, but then again, since we, we live all over the world, I guess we qualify. He's the chairman and CEO of Virtuoso, which is why we're here for their annual symposium, at least their global symposium. Last year was in Hong Kong, I believe, and the year before was, uh, what, Madrid? Berlin. Berlin, of course. And then, of course, this year here is in Cape Town, Matthew Upchurch. How are you, man? It's great to be back, be with you. You know, you were speaking yesterday to the group and came up with something that I thought was was a very important thing, at least a subject to, to elaborate on, and that is that we've gone from, in terms of luxury travel, or you might even argue in travel in general, we've gone from a an optimized commodity to an optimized experience. Right. I mean, I think what we're seeing, what I was saying is that if you look at every industry in the world, there's these kind of like this polarization between companies that optimize the commodity thing, price, speed, and convenience, right? And then you've got those that are optimizing experiences. And that's why I was saying, for example, the whole issue about, you know, my favorite quote is Warren Buffett, price is what you pay, value is what you get. It's hard sometimes when you're when you're doing things like scale, right? Trying to do the lowest price of this, that, and the other. But you have all this, particularly in the travel industry, you have this massive growth in companies that are really focusing on the full you know, on the experience and what you get and, and, and all those. We're also seeing a quantum change in what people want. I mean, mm. if you take a look at the, the, if you're in the boardroom right now of Chrysler, General Motors, or, or um, Ford, I mean, when I was 17 years old, all I wanted was a car. You talk a 17-year-old today, they only want to have a car as a zip car if they need it for four hours. They don't want to own it. It's not a sign of material wealth for them. It's not a status symbol anymore. So if you take a look at the, at the automobile manufacturers, how do they market themselves now when you have an entire generation of people who don't really want it? Well, and that's the whole shift. Uh, that's that whole kind of shift of, you know, prioritizing experiences. And, you know, that, that's part of what the sharing economy. I also talked about that yesterday, about this, this whole thing about people and connecting and things. And sort of like, in, certainly in the luxury sector that we're in, you know, there's been this massive move that's been moving, uh, as I said yesterday, Luxury travel has actually is now a larger industry than luxury automobile, right. right? And so there's been this shift that's been happening for quite some time now of moving from like, it's like, okay, there's only so much stuff I can own. Well, that's it. Right? Let's talk about stuff. Yeah. 
People who define luxury as the accumulation of stuff versus people who define luxury as the accumulation of experience. Yeah. The accumulation of stuff, I mean, at a certain point, I don't know if you're in this situation, something tells you you might be. You know, I, I looked at my arm and they said, how many wrists do I own? How many watches could I possibly yeah. possess? I mean, it's stuff, right? Well, and the and, other thing. And, and the old, you know, right. my dad said, you never want to be a, pris- a prisoner of your possessions, yeah. right? However, you do want to be a beneficiary of your experiences. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's interesting because I think you, you look at it and, and one of the things where we've seen is we've seen this from the perspective of like economic impact, right? So people today are much more likely to say, you know what, I'm not going to get a new car. I'm not going to do that. But I'm not going to, I am not going to not take my, my vacation. I am not going to not take my kids, you know, and show them the world and, and, and spend that time together. So when it comes to travel, I think we've gone from an entitlement of material goods to an entitlement of experience. People want that and they, they feel entitled. Well, and, and, you know, one of the, one of the things is, you know, we live in such a digital world and, you know, the other thing I talked about yesterday was also, you know, with the, 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 what's happened with terrorism, right. Is that there's, I actually think it's also accentuated the fact that people are like, we live precious lives. You know, there's, there's so much volatility, there's so much stuff and finding those moments when you stop and travel becomes one of those places where, where family, that's one of the reasons, for example, multi-generational travel has been one of the, you know, fastest growing things because being able to well, get Well, when the going gets comforts, tough, families come together. Absolutely. And, and, and getting away and experiencing new things, getting out of your comfort zone, out of your routine, out of all those things, you know, that, that, that brings families together. It look, makes, makes you look at things differently. Well, I go back to an experience I had back in 2008 in Paris when the euro was pretty high against the dollar. Uh, and yet every single hotel in Paris was oversold by Americans. Mm-hmm. So you'd walk in the lobby of the hotel and you'd see all these Americans there. And, and it was amazing. And they were all complaining about how expensive it was. And I said, mm-hmm. wait, let me ask you a question. You certainly knew what the exchange rate was before you came. Well, yeah, but you still came. Yeah, why? And their answer was was completely across the board. They said, because if we felt that we didn't come this year, we'd never come at all. Mm. And that was because of the terrorism of the economy. Right. Not because of, of, of acts of political terrorism. Right. Now, you might even apply that same uh, philosophy to acts of political terrorism. Yeah, and you know, and also there's a very practical, pragmatic thing about it. We live in a globalized world. So the reality is, is that if parents have, you know, are, are, have the means to do that, one of the most important priorities is is exposing their kids to the world and this is we're not just seeing this you know we have agencies in 37 countries and this is not just a US thing it's all over the world you know well let's talk about you know the terrorism of the economy for everybody else now i mean here we are mm-hmm. in south africa what a buyer's market for us oh, oh my god at one point the rand was up to 25 against the dollar now it's about 16 that is well at the very least it's double what it was for us uh, 6 months ago so for local goods and services, you know, for a tube of toothpaste or a taxi ride. or Well, I was just saying, a taxi ride. I, every time I've ridden a taxi here, you know. It's $2. It's like, it, it's like 50 rands. I feel so guilty. I always give 100% tip, right? Because it's like, okay, well, I just paid you six bucks. One of your travel advisors came to me yesterday and said, I have a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, well, I ordered tea at the hotel. It was $2.30. What do I tip? I said, at least a dollar. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah. Right? So for the first time in 40 years. Mm-hmm. You have the U.S. dollar really being king so many places around the world, not just against the euro, but about the Thai bot, yeah. about the, uh, the Buenos Aires, uh, in Buenos Aires, the peso yeah. in Argentina. How do you think those changes are happening? You talk about the global right. stage. You know, it used to be fuel prices were high. The dollar was weak. Foreigners were invading America because we were the bargain. Mm-hmm. Now, 
okay, fuel prices are low, so that's not even an issue for most people now. But the dollar is strong. Mm-hmm. You're seeing an imbalance now of travel mm-hmm. to the United States because mm-hmm. people literally they could they can't afford it now. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course that ebbs and flows, but um, you know, and and yet the U.S. is still doing pretty well. I mean, I think that some of the things that you and I you know know about from WTTC work and all that has been great. So there's been. I, ironically, I actually think that the dollar, you know, currency ex- exchange rates do affect, obviously. But for the U.S. being so, such an attraction, right, it's actually been the policies of actually we've gone from the worst to one of the best as far as visa and entry and automation. So and we're making that stuff. easy, right. So we made that because, you know, there were a lot of times when the dollar was 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 uh, weak that people still didn't want to come to the States because it was like, I, I feel like I'm being treated like a criminal, you know, trying to come into their country. Or you get there and there's three-hour lines. So a lot of, lot of great perspective. But I do want to get to about one thing here about Cape Town and some of these places. I think the other thing that, that, that um, listeners need to understand is that there's a difference between cheap and an amazing value. And I think what I would say about right here in South Africa and particularly here in Cape Town I don't think people understand how incredibly beautiful this place oh, is. amazing. And the quality. I mean, the quality of the food, the quality of the art, the quality of everything here is amazing. So when you're paying, you know, when you're paying three bucks for cab, you know cab ride, you may be thinking, oh, South Africa, Africa, some sort of like, I'm talking about better cabs than in New York, better cabs than, you know, better food than in most places. I mean, this, the value here is no, they, incredible. They've, they've, it's not cheap. It's just an incredible value. They stepped up the game. And, and, of course, guys like me who remember back in 1992 when the Rand was about 19 to the dollar, I made a mistake and didn't buy a house here. Right? I've had three people tell me in the last 24 hours that they're out looking at real estate. Oh, and why not? Why not? But, but now's the time to do it. Yeah. Speaking, there is absolutely no cause for alarm. We've been speaking to Matthew Upchurch, the president and CEO of Virtuoso, here for their annual global symposium. Matthew, right when we took the break, we were talking about people just going crazy yesterday, looking at the beauty of this place and going, wow, if it wasn't so remote, I'd be in trouble because they obviously would lose in the competition. Mm-hmm. It's so great. One of the reasons why it's so remote is not its geographic location, it's airlift. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem I see in the world right now, and you can start in the United States, we talked about this at the WTTC, is that airlines are no longer competing for market share, they're competing for yield. And in that respect, they're going to reallocate their assets to where they think they can get the best money for each individual seat. So you look at markets like Orlando or Las Vegas or Hawaii, they're going to suffer because they're considered low-yield markets. It's now cheaper to fly from Omaha to Oman than it is to fly from Springfield to Syracuse. There's something wrong there, and it's got to affect your travel advisors who are trying to figure out not just price, but ease of of access, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and I mean, and obviously, we're big supporters of this open skies, as we heard David Scousel talk about yesterday. We're talking about that here in Africa uh, in general, but anything that obviously helps the, the competition is important. Right, but the problem is when you go from eight airlines battling for 88% of the market share to four airlines that own it, there's not a lot of competition there. And new routes to us, you know, I mean, you take a look at so many American cities where your clients live are being disenfranchised because they can't get there from here or they can't get, you know, there from anywhere. Mm-hmm. You're seeing a lot of drive-to markets doing okay now because of fuel prices. But the bottom line is, mm-hmm. this is the one time where it's actually a bargain 
to go to Europe and Africa and Asia from the United States mm-hmm. more than flying within the United States. Mm-hmm. So New York to uh, to Bangkok on Qatar Airways is $808. The New York to Boston shuttle is $808. Suddenly has to, does this drive you a little nuts? Well, uh, the logic is, uh, is, is interesting, but you know, there's a lot of conversation out there about what needs to happen to that. Well, what needs to happen? Well, I, again, I think competition and open skies is really important. Different so, regions so of the world. So you don't get angry. I mean, look, there's a New York to Milan flight on Emirates, which is, mm-hmm. if I have a choice of flying a U.S. carrier or Emirates from New York to Milan, it's a no-brainer. I'm taking Emirates. I mean, they, they because they far surpass everybody in terms of, of service and style and everything else, right? Now you have a situation where Orlando, you can get to on Emirates, right? I mean, Qatar is going into Boston. Mm-hmm. I mean, so... Those are open skies agreements that the U.S. airlines are angry about, right? Mm-hmm. I needed to go from New York to Bergen, Norway. So I go online, and every airline that's listed there is going through their hub, like London or Paris or Copenhagen. But $1,800 tickets, right? That's just in coach. They're like four or $5,000 in business, right? Mm-hmm. Then I go offline and go on another airline website that's not displayed on the major uh, OTAs, Norwegian, the coach ticket is $353 nonstop from JFK to Bergen. Mm-hmm. And the business class ticket is 800 bucks. I mean... Well, probably the way I would redirect uh, the, the, this, this whole topic is, is, quite frankly, that is also why really great travel advisors are making such a huge comeback because they actually understand these things. And we're talking about these kinds of routings, these kinds of understandings about what's out there. Because it's not always online. It's not always online. And also... You know, uh, the, the, the thing about online is, um, you know, there's a great book called uh, To Sell is Human, right? So people think that anybody in the selling profession, well, people in a world where information is freely available, right? Why did anybody selling anything is still in business? And today, one of the main reasons that people that sell anything aren't still in business is because they're in the business of clarity and yet rather than information. But also it goes one, there's actually some great research that shows that the thing that stresses people out the most in the world of all this information is am I asking the right question? So for example, you go on, a, you go on an airline website and you say you want to take a family of six to Europe and you enter how many, how many people? Six. It, and defaults, you can, whatever. it, it comes back to a fair, but a good a travel advisor will have said, oh, hold on. I broke it into two, two, and two and saved you $300 per person. Because it Because you default. asked the right question. It, it didn't default. Of course. It of course. It's, it's crazy. I happen to think that and, and any airline or hotel that tells you that you can only get a great deal on their website is lying. I mean, because well, well, it's one of those things. that's sort of like, sort of like, uh, sort of like technical manuals, right? They're technically correct, but they're but they're worthless, right? To read. <laughs> so the reality is, is that that's why really good travel advisors understand what's going on and understand that. So technically, yes, if I entered six people, et cetera, et cetera, I got the lowest fare. But what you didn't say, if I did two, two, and two, it was a different fare. But it's like then it's like I just didn't ask the right question. Exactly, and not only that, how about the routing? I mean, yeah, I mean. If you go to the websites, right, the, the major OTAs, they're going to show you, you know, if you want to go from, they'll go to price first. And then you see it's a 48-hour flight mm-hmm. with 16 stops. Mm-hmm. People forget that, right? And yet $5 more, and it's a 19-hour mm-hmm. well, flight. Well, you saw this whole thing about that, and again, travel agents and travel advisors have been at the core of it, about this whole thing where all of a sudden, it's always been a de facto that, that you know, a, a multi-leg round-trip tick was was cheaper than this a bunch just, of one-way. This just happened, yeah. And then literally just weeks ago, 
all of a sudden, but it was travel agents that actually were the ones that first surfaced this whole idea. Wait a minute, what what just happened with this pricing? Right, and that all was- of a sudden. All of a sudden, the round-trip multi-leg ticket is more than one-way tickets stitched to together. And, and now together. a smart travel agent goes, okay, hey, we break it out. And that's exactly what they did. Exactly. Matthew Upchurch, always a, a font of information. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. You know, when we talk about globalization and coincidence, my next guest is proof positive of that. We actually met on an airplane years ago, had a wonderful conversation, stayed in touch, then lost touch. And then just about five days ago, before I was coming to Cape Town, she emailed me to say, hey, guess what? I'm going to Cape Town now. I'm, I'm working at this amazing foundation. We're helping all these people out. You're kidding me. I'm going to be in Cape Town in five days. We started talking. I said, you have to come on the show because as many of my regular listeners know, we do a segment on the show every week on volunteer vacations where you can go and help out every time you travel. And what you get back from what you give back is exponential in return. It's an opportunity for you to volunteer a half a day, an afternoon, a morning. We're not talking about enlisting in the Peace Corps. There's nothing wrong with that. But every chance you travel, you get an opportunity to give back. And what better way to do it than with the locals who actually live here and who can actually tell you more about the city than I ever could. And joining me now is Cami Palomo, who who is is my good friend, but is working on an amazing foundation. And, you know, we talk about volunteer vacations, so why not bring somebody on who's doing it right here in Cape Town? And that's you. Hi, Cami. Hi, how are you? So tell me about Avella Foundation. Yes. And what do you guys do? I came to Cape Town four years ago when, uh, as a tourist, fell in love with the city. I mean, the people are amazing. I wanted to give back, and that's how we started. I did a little research on which places to go. Who had the most need? Yes. And I wanted to do something with children. So I went to visit the Red Cross Children's Hospital here in Cape Town, which do amazing work. They have a great uh, volunteer program. So I started just going in the mornings, playing with the kids. Then I was asked to go and um, volunteer in the burn ward. And that's how Avela started. I saw the need to help children with burn injuries, to help them with um, um, uh, healthcare and also with psychological support. Sure, how, how they can reintegrate back into society. Exactly, which is very difficult for them, especially when they have uh, facial burns. It's very, very difficult for them to get back to school, uh, to be accepted back in society. Exactly. Even, Even the by family. their own family. Yes. Even by their own family. Yes. So. You never would have guessed you, did, you would ever do that before you got here. No. Mm-mm. A total surprise. Yeah. And, you know, the great thing about any kind of travel is no matter where you go, whether it's Cape Town or Cleveland, it doesn't matter. There's yeah. always need. And there's always a way that you can immerse yourself and, yeah. and do that. How, yeah, I, you know. I call it travel for a purpose. And I think that's really something fantastic. And then you really get to see, uh, immerse yourself, town, and get to know the people, get to know their needs. And in a completely different <clears throat> and unexpected way. Yeah, yeah. And it's very gratifying. So you really leave a city with a huge smile and feeling good about yourself that you made a difference. You know, even if you make a one-child smile, it, it 
exactly. it, it just it, it makes it makes it so much worthwhile. Yeah. What was the biggest surprise for you in, in doing this? How happy it made me. I think just I, I look forward every morning to go and, and play with the kids, even though they you know people say, but they it's so it must be gratifying. Yes, it is, but. You think that you give more, but actually they give you more. Their strength, especially the children. What you get back from what you give back is even more. Yeah, yeah. Is there a website? Yes, the uh, uh, website is Avela Foundation. A-V-E-L-A. Foundation. Foundation. Dot com and uh, now we have two projects. One project now that we're raising funds for, which is about two hundred thousand dollars that we need for a laser machine that is going to help the children um, with their uh, to minimize the scarring on their face. And then we also raise funds for the psychological support, which is so very important. The most important takeaway here for me, at least, is if you're coming to South Africa, of course everybody wants to go on safari. They want to, you know, that's a normal then they'll come back to Cape Town for R&R on the way back from safari or on the way before yeah. safari but then when you get here go to avellafoundation.com and spend a half a day yeah I mean it's it's amazing yeah I can take them I can take them to the children's hospital where they love having volunteers you know if it's for half a day so that they come and see and see what what the hospital is doing um, and it's very state-of-the-art it's an amazing hospital amazing doctors you would think because of South Africa that is not up to date but they are South Africa well let us not forget that the first heart transplant was performed yes, not too far from exactly. where we are right now by Dr. Christian yes. Barnard back in like 1967. Yeah. Amazing, exactly. right? That yeah. was the very first one. Yeah. So they were yeah. doing pioneering work yes. back then. Definitely. Now, I know when someone moves to a location as beautiful as Cape Town, you immediately have all your friends come to visit. And, yes, right? which is nice which is because nice, I take them to work. Yeah, and you, you take them to the foundation. <laughs> yeah. And they have, no ex- they have no idea, right? Yeah. So you're converting people left and yeah. right. Right? And it must be surprising for them. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And you have kids. Yes, I have two, but they're pretty much on their own now. They're building their lives, so that's why I'm here uh, giving back. Yeah. So you're an empty nester. Mm. Which is, is fantastic. And I think it's also for your personal growth. If, if there is one thing that I, I would love to tell the audience is if you're looking for that something missing in your life, travel but give back. You know, do a little bit of both. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. You know, if you take a look at the great wine regions around the world, you know, obviously South Africa is one of them. There's a very f- interesting story that most people don't know. And that during the years that, that there, was, there were sanctions against South Africa because of apartheid, all of a sudden Chilean wine became the hot commodity. Everybody wanted to have Chilean wine. What they didn't realize was that a lot of South African wine was being smuggled into Chile, re- relabeled as Chilean wine and coming in that way. So everybody was, and, and when you think about it, the Chileans aren't wine drinkers. They don't make wine for themselves. They were just brokering the deal. Right now, I'm sure there's some good Chilean wine, but the bottom is, bottom line is, it doesn't beat South African wine. And joining us now, the head sommelier here at the one and only uh, Luva Nitezo, Intezo. Intezo. Yes. I said it perfectly. I, well, I said it perfectly the second time, Luva. Sorry. 
Did you you heard that story? But it's true. Uh, definitely, yeah. Um, we are a huge viticultural country, probably the only one in the world with the with the documentation on when we started. We first we first made wine in South Africa on the second of February, sixteen fifty nine, made by the first governor Jan van Riebeek. Wow, and he was drunk enough to no no no. <laughs> but what's interesting about South African wine is you know everybody talks about Stellenbosch, but you can go to so many other places as well. It's such a diverse country with multiple regions and districts within, and there's a new region coming up every now and then. But the world now and South Africans we're talking about the wines of Swatland, really beautiful boutique handcrafted wines, older vines. And by the way, everybody and their mother has a winery. I was at a graph. They're jewelers. And they've got a winery. And then, of course, there's Steenberg and then French Hook. It's great. But my favorite place is not far right from where we are right now. It's about 40 minutes out of town. It's Constantia Utzig, right? Uh, Constantia, beautiful region. And the guy who owns that place is a cricket fanatic, and he built his own cricket pitch out there. And that's how I learned how to, how to hit sixes. <laughs> I hit sixes. How do you like that? Uh, we are a cricket And that's before I had a, a glass of wine. <laughs> beautiful wines from there. Constantia is one of the oldest wine-making regions we've had in the Cape. In fact, the oldest wine estate in this country is from Constantia. And Constantia has in, been incorporated as part of that. Now, I called it Constantia Utzig, but you called it... Constantia Eitzig. And you know what? I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest surprise for people who are discovering wine here for the first time? In terms of the kind of wine that they're expecting to drink? I think the most important thing about our wines is not just the elegance, instruction, finesse, but it's the purity of fruit. Uh, we, we make Chenin Blanc as the most planted grape variety that we've got in the country. It's so pure, it's so structured, it's so complex that we don't really need to use barrique because we've got Mediterranean climate and which very consistent. And the thing is, when I was up in, in French Hook, I mean, everybody has a sense of humor about it too. I mean, I have a friend of mine who, who, who her sister has a winery and they named the wine after their dog, Miss Molly. Oh, Miss Molly. You that's, know Miss Molly. That's and, Morrison. And it's, and, it's, and it's pretty good wine. <laughs> I miss Mo I, I've met Miss Molly, the dog, as yes, well. Yes, but yeah. that's the label, too, right? Come <laughs> Indeed. Um, Were you surprised that I knew that? See, I know. I'm yeah. surprised, yeah. and I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> it's a beautiful bubbly. Um, yeah. We've got it in the hotel, actually. Really? Wines yeah, Miss of Molly. Morrison. Yeah, wow. and Miss Molly. It's a beautiful sparkling wine range that they make, we, which we refer to as Method Cup Classique. Say that once again. Method Cup Classique. Which means? Uh, which means it's, um, it's a style similar to champagne um, of making sparkling wine. Secondary non-alcoholic fermentation in the bottle, which spends about between 9 to 12 months on the lease being, before being disgorged. Therefore, you get something more biscuity, toasty, fresh, limey, very beautiful. See, you're not just talking wine. You're telling stories. Uh, wine no, is but that's, about it's stories. Great. Yeah, it's yeah. great because everything has a story. Everything And has I'm a one of those people who believes that if you understand the process, then you value the product. If you don't understand the process, you know, it's like asking kids where food comes from. They tell you the store. Not good. Not a good answer. Of right? course. Of course. So you really deep dig. You deep, excuse me, you deep down, you dig deep down. I uh, learn how to pronounce these words any day now. Uh, uh, because you have to tell those stories. Otherwise, people don't appreciate what went into it. That's what I do every week. Um, and my, on my off days, I travel to wine farms, different places. On your off days, you travel to wine farms. You're, you're wine 24-7 then. Wine is my life. And it, it's all about really gathering those stories from the estates, bring them in here, and be able to transform and share them with our guests. Well, I think you're doing a great job. Riding along in my automobile 
My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go The third season of Peter Greenberg's public television series, The Travel Detective, premieres this month. And as in every season, the program was shot all over the world, giving you critical, essential information about everything from understanding frequent flyer miles to how the best tour operators train their guides. While we gear up for season three, we invite you to go to www.trafalgarcontest.com and enter to win the grand prize of a Trafalgar Europe vacation. Or you can always visit our website, petergreenberg.com, for more information. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. My next guest, well, runs this joint. He's the general manager named Richard Lyon. You know, I was here when they first opened this hotel, Richard, and, you know, at a time when there was so much development then, things got crazy, but you finally have stabilized now. I mean, this is a great location. You're right here on the waterfront. It's, it seems like all the stars are aligning this year. Business is booming. We had no doubt benefiting from the wheat grand and the exposure that yeah let's uh, that talk about us. the wheat grand i mean it must drive you nuts but for me it's great yeah i mean we it, the the extra demand that it brings in actually is is more of a benefit than anything else that it does as a harm i know about local goods and services that you know you really can't adjust the price of a tube of toothpaste or a cab ride or a, or a big mac god forbid mm. can hotels adjust at all yes they can we, uh, we always have the ability with rates that we've contracted, if there are exceptional circumstances, uh, that we can make reasonable adjustments, uh, which we have, and all of our business partners c- uh, quite understand it, because at the end of the day, the end user is not paying any more in their home right. currency. In the old days, when the U.S. dollar was so weak, I would tell everybody, lock your rates in in U.S. dollars. Mm. Now I tell them, lock your rates in in RAND. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which you don't want to hear. We don't want to <laughs> no, hear No, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> Absolutely not. But for buyer's market for tourists. It is. And I think Cape Town deserves it as a city. It's a brilliant destination, and it's so wonderful to see everybody busy. Uh, it's not that we're being successful in isolation. Uh, all of the other hotels in town are busy. All the tour operators are busy, the, the, the guides, the drivers. So it's good for the economy. What you really need now is better airlift. Yes, we do. Uh, I mean, the, the icing on the cake would be a, a direct flight out of the U.S., uh, one of the major hubs into non-stop. Cape Town, non-stop into Cape Town. Yeah, I don't understand. They have the they have the range. I know. Uh, well, and it existed until I believe the flight was pulled after nine eleven. There used to be a direct That's flight. That's fifteen years ago. It is. Yeah, it is, and it, it would be wonderful if that came back again. You know, it makes no sense because I remember the, uh, knowing a number of South African Airlines pilots. They had the field day of all field days because they used to stop for fuel in Cape Verde Islands. And they kept their boats down there. They went fishing. They had parties all the time. That's because the planes didn't have the range. Right. Well, they had to sell all the boats. That's right. They're not stopping there anymore. No. Right? I mean, last year, I've heard recently the stats that there were 155,000 Americans came to South Africa. But if you look at the circuitous routes that they came came to do that, if you had that direct flight out of New York or Miami – Uh, into Cape Town, I think that number would grow dramatically. You know, we have state-of-the-art long-haul airplanes now that can do unbelievable long-haul. I mean, Mm. the longest flight now in the world is Dubai to Auckland, and that's about 18 hours. Right. 
right? Right. So you could, it's easy. You can do it. Mm. You can do it. Yeah. And the problem is, the other problem with, with South Africa is airlift within it. Because if you want to go to Mozambique, you know, if you want to like add on a trip, try to go to Swaziland. Yeah, right now. they are doing. They they're doing a good job of, of of increasing the airlift. I mean, we've now got direct flights into uh, Maun in Botswana, which is a, a new addition. Um, and they're a, a group called Westgrow who are working with the government and with everybody are really doing a, a, a big push to get more direct flights into Cape Town. Yeah, from all over uh, sub-Saharan Africa, uh, and then also the U.S. is uh, one of their major targets. Now, you know, the, one of the cool things about your hotel here, of course, if you like comfort level like I do, you got Nobu. Yes, I uh, mean everywhere I go, there's. I mean, I was just in Monaco, Nobu. You know, I mean, I just follow the Nobus. You know, it's a great product, I and mean, it it go it transfers anywhere in the world. Uh, the, the the food is great. We're having our best year ever with Nobu here in Cape Town. Uh, and I think it's on most people's bucket lists when they come in here in terms of the top four or five restaurants that they want to go to. Sure. Nobu's on there. And the one thing they have at every Nobu, which I always order, is the cod. Yes, it's, it's you, wonderful. You have to, that's the one you start with. Yeah. And that's, you have that, you're good. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and also the, uh, the yellowtail with the jalapeno peppers, right? Isn't that's, that nice? I always yeah. start with that. See, we, we're, yeah. we're, we're on the same track. Exactly. Okay. What's the biggest surprise for people right now who come to Cape Town for the first time? Um, I think the just the the beauty of the city. Uh, you, you, however well you try and describe it to somebody, until you actually arrive here. And when I say arrive, it can be as simple as getting off the plane, having come in from Europe where it's usually raining and grey and cold, and you get off and you see that Cape Town sky, yeah. uh, which is as blue as blue can be. And then you've heard about Table Mountain, and then you actually see it, and you just see how magnificent it is. And it just keeps getting better and better from there on. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. I remember when I first came here, the definition of sautéed was deep fried, and that was about 25 years ago. Things have changed radically in terms of sourcing and in terms of of expertise in in the gastronomic world. And joining us now, someone who knows a little bit about that, the award-winning chef of Rubens at the one and only, and what a coincidence, his name is Ruben. (laughs) Ruben Rafael, how are you? Good, Peter. Good to join you this morning. Yeah, so let's talk about what I just said. I mean... You remember when everything was deep fried. I mean, it was fish and chips time. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I was actually born in a town called uh, Franchuk. You know, I, I know Franchuk yeah, very well, yes. Yeah. And um, I remember growing up there, what am I now, 42. Uh, the streets were very quiet. There was like two restaurants and the food was kind of kind of heavy, you know, almost like Frenchified with lots of cream. I remember even the terminology on the menus were all these French names, but I didn't know any better. So I thought that was the way it was. I I remember working as a waiter also in some of the hotels there. I never much liked sort of that type of food. I liked my mom's food more than what I tasted there. How many of mom's recipes are on the menu here? (laughs) Well, there's there's quite a few dishes that was inspired by that. Like? like? Well, you know, things like uh, our pork dish, for example, you know, we've got this uh, pork belly i grew up i always say almost like a in a farm environment so my grandfather he planted his own vegetables he had he he grew uh, he had some livestock pigs and and um, a few goats and things like that so we almost we lived off the land i remember big sort of uh, gatherings where um there was a slaughter of the pigs and then you know we would it was a whole big family gathering and um we would live off that animal for, you know, almost a month. So 
Uh, those What's for dinner tonight? Uh, pork? <laughs> yeah, again. What's your again. breakfast tomorrow? Uh, bacon? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like that. You know, we yeah. didn't... Um, and my grandfather, even on our patch of land, my, my dad liked to grow his own vegetables. And, you know, that's the way we grew up. My, my grandmother baked our bread. So... Um, uh, back in the day, I didn't know that was so special, but you know, thinking back, I know that was kind of special. Well, nothing smells better than freshly baked of bread. Of course, you know, you know, it's yeah. cooking, right? Definitely. All right. So, what <laughs> menu item here? You said the pork belly. Yeah, you know, it's more like I said, inspired by um, those dishes. You know, um, uh, we didn't specifically just eat a Cape Malay style food. It was a combination of some Dutch uh, influenced stews and dishes like that. Um, but uh, a lot of the times we had boboti, we had all these. You had what? Uh, boboti. You know, I don't know I if don't you've know. ever Tell had me. it. No. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like um, um, minced uh, lamb, and then it's flavored with a combination of spices. You know, turmeric. Well, as uh, long as, it, as long as it's not a haggis, we're good. No, it's very far from haggis. Actually, yeah, yeah, it's it's not as scary looking either. It looks kind of uh, appealing when you look at it. Haggis <laughs> does it. <laughs> no, you know haggis is scary when people tell you the only way to eat it is after you've drunk a, a <laughs> yeah. lot of alcohol, right? <laughs> or when it, when it's very dark. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have you put on your menu? Forgetting mom and grandma, what have you put on your menu that you thought was really going to be great and nobody ordered it? And what have you put on your menu that thought, nobody's going to order this, and everybody ordered it? You see, so when I started in Franchuk, um, uh, that was our first restaurant. So my um, approach was sort of like taking food, because we didn't want to go in the heavy fine dining direction. We wanted to do food that I saw a lot of people enjoyed eating when they go to more the middle of the middle of the range restaurants where it's fried calamari, you know, still not sauteed. It was different. You know, yeah, properly fried. fried. I got it, yeah. <laughs> Um, and um, I took sort of like inspiration uh, from that, and I wanted to put those type of dishes um, on my menu. So I had something like liver. You know, I grew up with um, uh, eating livers or calf's liver, beef liver, and I thought that was that was going to be it. You know, it was one. Uh, I, I, know I can not, tell you right now, <laughs> not going to fly. You, you know, uh, you know, it's just. I think it it was probably because. I loved it, and I thought people would enjoy that as well. That was not that was a bit of a flop, so yeah, I should have known I that. that. I should one. have I should have uh, run it past you, you back to me. then. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the one that's the big success, um, the one that was the big success was actually the uh, our uh, chili squid. Um, so it's um, it's a combination of flavors. It's maybe a bit more Thai type of flavors, but I sort of you know. Again, when I was introduced to that, those type of sweet and sour flavors, I just fell in love with it. So uh, we... Um, it's squid with a kick to it. A squid with a kick to it. We make a little bit of our, um, our own um, chili sauce, but it's got ginger, garlic, everything in there. And then I make a, a salad, but it's got uh, the flavors of mint and coriander, basil, um, um, radish, all these type of ingredients in there. And that... Back in the day, I think there, there wasn't a lot of those type of dishes, and I was surprised that it was that people actually enjoyed it as much as they did. And it's still on the menu today. There you go. So I can always, I can always order the squid with a kick. Definitely. Well, extra <laughs> kick as well if you want. <laughs> You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.
If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.